Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to A Little Bit Dusty, all sourcing yards from the outback and the bush. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We are still in the bush this week. We had a lovely chat with uh, Jason Matz, the Silly Swagman. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And today we'll be talking to a gentleman who's been putting himself out there, helping the community, especially with the floods at the moment. He is a uh, very passionate man about uh, the environment, the wildlife, more importantly, the bush, and he's been doing some really interesting things that I didn't really take into consideration until I saw his Instagram. You might know him on his website and his Instagram as Back to the Bush. Unfortunately, there are some uh, crazies out there that are still trying to, you know, have a bit of tamper with, uh, you know, people's identity and try and bring people down in their succession. So we'll just leave him as Bushy for the moment. He joins us tonight. Bushy, g'day, mate. How are you? G'day, g'day. Thank you for having me on your show, Tyson. No worries. Understand, uh, yeah, you've been very, very busy with a lot of the other different things you've been doing with your endless volunteering. So thank you for taking the time to have a bit of a chat with us today. We should be getting us some pretty cool topics. Um, let's go back to the start. Where did the name Back to the Bush come from? Oh, going back to the bush, that's basically what it was. It's about taking people back into the bush. We've become a very urbanised society um you know you go back 20 30 40 50 60 years um you know a, a good chunk of the population was based in the bush where there was industry you know jobs everything and obviously we've become a, a very urbanized nation now and um i thought well no one's taken the name um i'm a city slicker um through and through and it's very fitting going back to the bush and it's about taking people back into the bush um through many different sort of lenses and aspects yeah no oh, very good so it wasn't uh some of the superficial meaning behind it just plain and simple just getting people yeah. out back into the bush good stuff i like it <laughs> so you said you're a city slicker uh, whereabouts did you kind of grow up and whereabouts are you based uh, now? i grew up in sydney um i'm between western sydney um and the blue mountains and lithgow um I'm a bit of a nomad traveling uh, along that stretch of the Great Western Highway and the M4 constantly. Um, so it might be between the parents' place in Sydney and uh, out into the Blue Mountains um, and over over to the other side. So, yeah, a bit, 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 uh, yeah, bit hmm. nomadic at the moment. Is that constant travel from things you're doing outside of Back to the Bush? Because I know that you're a volunteer uh, firefighter. What other kind of stuff do you do for the community and how else do you volunteer your time to uh, prevent sort of disasters or you know, providing education for people across these environments? Uh, yeah, so I'm my um, 
my I'm I'm a member of the Linden Rural Fire Brigade. Uh, I am I'd like to say reasonably active. Um, yeah, I I mean prevent disasters. Yes, we can prevent disasters if we burn the bush enough. Uh, how the bush is meant to be burning every three to seven years, depending on where it is. Uh, that that way we can prevent disasters. But most of the time we are responding to disasters. Uh, as as a as if I put my uh, I of course uh, disclaimer. If I speak anything about the New South Wales Rural Fire Service, it would be from the perspective of an individual volunteer and, and as the perspective of the Bush as the organisation yep. and not as uh, the service, um, just clarification because some people can create headaches. Yeah. Got it, yeah. yeah that's very that's important. important. Yeah. Um, yep. And you've got to remember to distinguish between between the two. So, yeah, I am, um, yeah, look, we're semi-active uh, from from training all the way to responding deployments, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I try and, try and um be there as much as I can uh, through the Rural Fire Service and situations where we're not being deployed or engaged uh, from either a district or a, or a, a brigade level uh, to uh, the needs of the community, that's when I put the back to the bush shirt on and head out as, as back to the bush. So I'm trying to constantly, constantly volunteer my time and respond to community. Uh, essentially, the community philanthropy side of things are back to the bush stemmed from basically uh, a lot of us sitting uh, at a station or sitting around waiting to get called out and never getting called out while the community needs more resources. So that's I've All right. jumped in and going as back to the bush. Um, and then usually, uh, particularly with floods, the cleanup efforts uh, are then where I'd go back um, to to the station, put on my uh, yellows, and go out as RFS for cleanup operations. But um, yeah, when right. when uh, the brown stuff is hitting the fan, usually the SES are in control, uh, and out of district, sort of out of area RFS aren't really deployed into the, those areas. And so I would yeah put the back to the bush hat and shirt on and, and go out and try and. Uh, narrow that gap and close that gap between community needs and um, uh, you know state emergency services arrangements. Hmm. Oh, there you go. A bit early on before uh, when you said we could all enjoy the bush if they were uh, burnt as often as they should. One thing I wanted to touch on here is I saw from some of your videos there's been uh, well, it's, I suppose it's a mix of well to the untrained eye for some reason really not much about it. Uh, you point out, uh, I suppose, how can I word this properly? Is it a lack of council and national parks efforts to clear these fuel loads for the sake of for the sake of yeah. um, everyone being yeah. able to enjoy them again? Yeah. Look, so I'll, I'll um, council, national parks, crown land, state forests. I will uh, I will refer them to from this point onwards as public land managers. Um, uh, but particularly when I refer to public land managers, I am, um, it, it's mostly national parks, um, but we'll just summarise them all together just to be, um, just sort of, so there's one word to describe them all. Um, so let me, let me paint a picture this way. And it's, it's honestly common sense. It's 
the way it's been for millions of years, a lightning would strike somewhere in the Blue Mountains on a warm summer's day, you know. After a, after a warm summer's day, northwesterly winds, bushes dried out, it's dry season, It's a we've gone into a dry period, potentially an El Nino or a, or a drought, or, you know, from the local climatic conditions, whatever it might be, we're in a dry period. Um, the bush has undergone a period of uh, growth uh, over the um, former, you know, past uh, um, five years or seven years, whatever that, that period was. And now it's gone through a drying period, uh, whether it's a drought or not, it doesn't matter. Anyway, lightning strikes. There's no one in Australia. The only people in Australia are, um, uh, if we talk about in the last 60,000 years, the Indigenous. Um, but before then, um, no one's here. Um, but let's just say the Indigenous here as well. That fire will burn. Prevailing winds from Blue Mountains, it will burn to the east coast and nothing will stop it. Unless and until that fire reaches the coast and obviously runs out of fuel, it reaches the coast, burnt out, or there are natural uh, containments or, or big big rain events that would eventually fully put that fire out. So, just as the Gospers fire was started, the Gospers mega fire was started with a lightning strike that technically would have burnt to the central coast, to the northern beaches, to your place. Um, had there not been any um, con- you know, response from the the rural fire service uh, to counter that to that counter that fire front, um, it would have burnt all the way to the coast, and that occurred naturally for millions of years. A lightning would strike in the bush, and it would most often than not cool burn its way to a natural containment or get put out by the rain. To summarise exactly. What- Okay, what have we done now? Right, we've come in um, and we've cleared millions upon millions of hectares of forest, old growth, woodland ecologies that you could walk through these woodlands and not get hit in the face with a shrub um, or any undergrowth, any thick, dense undergrowth. You'd walk through these beautiful you know, woodlands that had trees in excess of three, four, five hundred years old, some of them. You know, imagine, imagine the Sydney Basin, uh, imagine parts of the Blue Mountains and, and the Central West having just these grand old ancient trees um, and, and a wooded environment. Um, we cleared that all because really timber was one of the only industries available when Australia was first settled. Uh, all the regrowth from, uh, and also obviously for, for grazing and agriculture, any areas that have now then been sort of rehabilitated and annexed to National Park, um, a lot of it is regrowth forest, and that regrowth has not been managed for decades. Oh, really? Um, for decades? I thought the problem was a little... Decade. Yeah, right. Public land managers have not been maintaining vast areas of, that, of, of, of those national parks for decades. They haven't been managed the way they should naturally be managed. Now, there's a lot of factors at play which limit their ability to manage the land, and that's partly because we're very urbanised. There's a lot of built-up areas, a lot of assets that need to be protected. So fires yeah. can no longer be allowed to just burn um, naturally like they have been for the past several million years. Mm. So they have to be contained. Uh, they need to be put out. 
Um, usually they'll race a remote area firefighting team to a, a, an ignition point deep in the forest started by lightning uh, and put that out as soon as possible. Um, but in actual fact, that would technically have naturally burned and should have burned through the bush, um, again, to any natural containment points or, or to the coast or you know, put out by fires. So what we've done is we've completely shifted and changed the ecology of our forests um, to a very toxic ecology. They're very dense. Uh, they're very fuel laden. There's a lot of undergrowth. And so, um, and, and the hazard reduction uh, programs and, and burns are just not being done um, and have not been done uh, properly for the last few decades. And every time a bushfire goes through um, that area, um, worst case scenario, and it's becoming more common, the fire crowns. And once the fire crowns, you start killing trees. You start permanently shifting and changing the ecology of the forest and it becomes further exacerbated. The next season, you get the dense regrowth, the lignotubes and, um, and all the shrub, all the, all the um, colonising sort of plants, those, those low, thick, heathy growing sort of shrubs start to take hold. Any surviving gum trees um, will sprout epicormic growth. They'll try and recover to the best sort of state that they are, but they'll be stunted. There'll be a slow period of growth. And so you have uh, uh, that shifting ecology, which, you know, after the wet period then dries out, then becomes even worse in the next fire mm. season because it's thicker and more dense and more fuel-laden right. than what it was previously. In the vast areas of the Blue Mountains National Park, which I've been surveying for years and particularly after the summer black summer bushfires, are in those are is in that dangerous situation. People mm. will look at it and go, oh, it's sprouting, it's green, it's beautiful, it's regrowth. Yeah, some regrowth is good. Too much regrowth is toxic to the ecology. It chokes the soils of um, of, of oxygen. It it doesn't create a safe environment for many plants and animals, other plants and animals that, that, that rely on a woodland environment, ah, that's on, a, true. on an open forest ecology. Um, and who am I to speak? I don't have a uh, I don't have a university degree. Um, I just have thirty thousand hours of field time and observations, and I've learned from so many different people, from indigenous people all the way to farmers, uh, on on managing the land, on how the land is meant to be managed. And honestly, land management is such a simple, straightforward process. Burn the bloody bush every three to seven years, depending on what's going on with that particular ecology at that given time. But unfortunately, even hazard reduction burns are becoming dangerous. I've been to a few hazard reduction burns where the fire crowns on a hazard reduction burn because of the amount of fuel that we're trying to, you know, obviously get just that, to burn Just that off. term again, crowning. Can just for the listeners crowning. I might not have heard. When a ground fire... When a ground fire progresses to the crown of the forest, so the oh, crown, right. the tree, so when it reaches a certain and burns height. through the tree canopy, yeah, you don't okay. no fire. Like, you do not want a fire to crown. As soon as a fire crowns, it's starting to kill trees. Right, um, it's starting to completely and utterly decimate um, the forest. Um, you want every burn, whether it be a hazard reduction burn or a naturally occurring bushfire. You want it always to be a ground fire. As soon as it crowns, more animals perish. Like koalas, um, they'll tend to stay up high. A lot of those animals, they'll tend to stay up high. Um, and most often than not, if, if the fire's a good cool burn or a good ground fire, um, those animals will survive and won't 
they, you know, won't perish, uh -huh. um, as well as ground dwelling animals as well. They will find shelter under logs, under rocks, under different sort of natural containment areas um, on, a, on a decent cool, cool ground fire burn. So um, as soon as, so basically uh, we're at a stage now that even hazard reduction burns and even obviously naturally occurring bushfires are too ferocious. They're so ferocious. They're historically ferocious because of, what we've done to this land, we've destroyed it, mm. we've had it regrow, and then we've had an overarching um, uh, overprotective uh, land management bureaucracy um, that's come in and, you know, they don't like this term, they always ridicule this term, but that's what they've done. They've locked it up yeah. and we can't touch it, we can't burn it, um, we, can't, uh, we can't, responsible people can't access them uh can't access uh, our public fire trails um and and so you know most often not you'll hear a lot of rfs volunteers they'll be going down a fire trail and they'll find trees across tracks tracks in very poor condition tracks overgrown tracks encroaching even over the vehicles touching the vehicles they're responding to a fire they're wanting to do a hazard reduction burn or a back burn and their lives are in danger. There's no way to turn around if something comes around, if something comes away. Yeah, and that's another task for them to do before they get to that fire is clear all that load. That's what I just saw on your uh, Instagram this week as well. And that's what I touched on saying before when you said, oh, who am I? I'm not someone with a degree. I'm someone with 30,000 hours experience. That's what makes uh, you particularly and other people uh, like yourself so important because uh, unfortunately with a lot of things, people think like, oh, well, if you have the piece of paper, then sure you can come in and you know assess these things. But you've been... They're right in the thick of it, going literally back into the bush with you know a lot of either mates, and uh, have been clearly saying to everyone and you know tagging certain you know companies or people responsible, saying, "Look at this is where we are. We wanted to clear this area. No, we have to clear this area because it's you know hasn't been managed properly. It just seems like it's an absolute shit show. How could how did from what kind of drew you into wanting to get back in to protect the bush and the environment originally? Was it uh, experience you had as like a, a young kid from like camping and holidays or was it just you had a bit of an interest in uh, the bush as a specific environment? Well, I'm, I feel very connected to the environment. I feel very in, in tune with uh, the, the, the environment. I, I, I can't really, there's no particular trigger as to what's... Um hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Made me uh, so um, passionate about uh, conservation, preservation of the bush and our, and our environment and cultural heritage and everything. Um, I'm just, I, I, you know, even more so over the years, being a volunteer firefighter, um, seeing what's happening to the environment, the way it's being, um, you know, treated uh, or poorly managed. Um, and and I, I personally hurt every time there's environmental destruction. I, I hurt every time I have to go pick up rubbish, maintain a track, um, look at look at the shifting and changing ecologies of our of our um, of our environments. Uh, it, it's it, you know I I feel spiritually connected to it. And, you know, it is part of my mission to bring people back into the bush to show people objective, objectively as I possibly can the situation in the bush and what needs to be done. I don't have the paperwork. I don't have an environmental degree. I don't sit in the, uh, in the Office of Environment Heritage in the city or in Hurstville with uh, an environmental degree and 140 uh, field hours in, in, in the bush in the environment. Uh, a lot of those people don't know what's going on. A lot of those people are box ticking. Uh, it's bureaucrat heavy. Yeah. I know very many great rangers in New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service who would quietly in my ear, uh, you know, give me their grievances over the bureaucracy, but they can't dare to mm. speak out. You are silenced um, if you speak out. Uh, yeah, they can admit this whether they would like it or not, but um there's no free speech in that organisation, and uh, that's my uh, experience, uh, not opinion, uh, from yeah. um, being bullied and intimidated by um, people within that organisation, and, and hearing firsthand from rangers as well as as well as Indigenous Australians on the tactics uh, and bullying and vilification that occurs. Um, with these different authority, you know, these different um, levels of bureaucracy towards towards them, and um, it makes me uh, it makes me really frustrated that that this is what's you know going on, and people in the offices just um, just running the show, and they're not on the ground, and uh, yeah, they've got all the university degrees um, under their belts and uh, all these qualifications, yeah. but they do not spend time in the bush. They do not live. Uh, I mean, I don't live in the bush. Well, I do sometimes, but they don't. They don't live on the fringe of the bush. They don't see what's occurring. They uh, are very. Uh, it's all very politically driven, uh, scientific. Um, and even even science, unfortunately, is now shadowed by political bias. That's it. There's only some sciences that are supported and financially supported as well. So you're only going to hear one side of particular issues from said sciences. Uh, yeah. Scientists who say that the bush should be burned every three to seven years, and that is the reason for the ferocity of the bushfires, are 
uh, ridiculed, shut down. Yeah, it's yeah. it's quite sad. Um, these are these are people with PhDs who would speak out um, against the let's just say climate alarmists who are just pointing that one finger that. at climate change uh, for the reason why our bushfires yeah. are becoming more severe. If you know, if anything, we should be. What not only are we backwards in um, maintaining the bush, we, we're not main, the bush is not being maintained in a way that it was done by the Indigenous Australians and by Mother Nature naturally uh, for millions of years. Not only are we not we're not doing that. If climate change is occurring, we should be um, doing more to deter, reduce the impact of future bushfires. That's it. And yeah, absolutely. I submitted a 45-page report to the Royal Commission. That was obviously ignored um, because um, it was obviously read, but it was largely ignored, I reckon, because the fact that when I obviously when you send the title through, it doesn't say my name and my PhD or my scientific degree under my name yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's um it was quite disappointing that the people with the people who are essentially the cause of all this uh of all these severe bushfires there, their ideology, they're the people who had that soapbox during the Royal Commission. Everyone else was sort of like, ooh, um, your your methods are backwards. So, you know, we can't keep, we, we can't, we can't burn all of the bush. Um, it's impossible, you know. And, and you know, there's talk of uh, the windows are narrowing and even being able to do hazard reduction burns. And that's true. I agree with that. But, oh, that's insane. Um, uh, you know, the, the windows are narrowing because, the ecology's changed and it is changing mm-hmm. rapidly. And um, as a result of not doing anything, of no action previously, and every time a bushfire comes through, as I explained, the ecology per- undergoes a permanent shift and it just becomes exacerbated uh, into the sort of the next fire season. Uh, and, uh, Far yeah. out. Sounds like it's a bit of a mess, but like what, there's a few things I want to touch on. Um, what you said before of, you know, if you were to send your things to the Royal Commission, they've gone, oh, yeah, look, your, your ways are backwards. And probably in the back of their minds also, well, your ways aren't going to make us money. And unfortunately, with any uh, bureaucracy and any uh, anything that's politicised, especially when you're dealing with resources and environments, it's usually one said group of people who just, you know, will attempt to control what they say goes and everything else. I've had this kind of conversation with... Uh, Ron Pike and Nigel Hickson and a few other people about um, uh, water and water trading. Yeah, they've kind of put these ideas together. And a lot of them have been you know, involved with Parliament and certain people as well. And they've kind of said, well, look, this is kind of what we need to do. Yeah, you also got to get rid of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority because it was made with 400 water unaware people, just people in suits and ties like what you're saying, ticking boxes, when they're not out there going through and talking to farmers and irrigators about what they do can do to conserve their water a lot better. But again, it comes down to, oh, well, we've made this disastrous thing and if we keep changing it to how the public wants it we're not going to make any coin out of it so um yeah it's a bit of a shame but uh especially if it's coming out of your own time as well like you know volunteering just endless hours and then you know all your videos are really great because i've tagged a few of my friends into um, some clips of yours and said look at this guy it's actually makes you think a little bit about you know when you head outdoors you know for the next time and um it's yeah. I find your videos are really educational. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to list, uh, to watch, it's back to the number two, the bush on Instagram, and yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, you've got a lot more people by your side. Have with the work that you've done, have you had anyone 
within Parliament or kind of that kind of stature recognised and support what you're doing? And has it gained a bit more attention since or is it still uh, being ridiculed or have your ideas been rejected from people because they're like what you said before, you know, like a bit backwards or, no, you know, they no. don't want to see things reduced and burned the whole time? We, we just like Matt Keane, we have another yes minister, um, yes to his bureaucracy, uh, James Griffin. His chief of staff is also the chief of staff. Uh, was looking after Matt Keane with the environment portfolio. Um, I can't get through to these people. These people sit in their uh, cushy desks on several hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm talking advisors to the worst part. They're and, on massive salaries. Um, and they, with they, no they, um, they are, people say that they, people, people within their ranks have referred to me as a, uh, I, I hear it you know, from the grapevine. I, it comes back to me. I oh, don't listen to him. He's a conspiracy theorist. Oh, he's a, he's, he's a nobody. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I, I have been quite light on engaging James Griffin so far, but I will get louder, um, as he continues to ignore me as did Matt Keane. Um, 2018, I messaged Matt Keane and I said, I need to talk to you about the situation in the national parks. I was ignored. I never got that meeting. What happened at the end of 2019? Matt Keane's the kind of guy who uh, likes to um, get in the chopper, National Park's chopper, get flown around, head bureaucrats land him in areas of the National Park and tell them what they want. And he goes, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever you say. Yeah, far out. Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. Um, mm. And uh, blatantly these bureaucrats lie to him, tell him that such and such environmental degradation and destruction here that you see here is a result of Right. Climate change as a result. Climate of, change, yeah, throw it in there. Um, <laughs> such, such animals. Um, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the uh, a bit of context here. They land Matt Keane in a peat, peat moss bog in uh, Kosciuszko National Park. Head bureaucrat comes out with some scientists with them and uh, go, oh, the damage that you see here in this peat moss is um, rumby damage. Anyone who looked at that and went, that was not rumby damage. That was pigs. Um Right. For them to land a minister on a peat moss and get scientists and head of national parks convincing the minister that what he's looking at is Brumby damage is just far beyond sensibilities and and, and logic and uh, it's sad, quite quite frankly, it's very sad yeah. that the um that he was sort of manipulated into thinking that, that all that damage was a result of Brumbies. And that was obviously them lobbying him to start culling the Brumbies. Now That's what I was just about my to position two together, yeah. My position on this is there are, should be a no feral animals in New South Wales National Parks and or in any any ecology in Australia. There should be no feral animals. That's probably a better one in any ecology, yeah. There should be no feral animals. They do so much destruction to our endemic environments. Um, you know, we don't need to go into there. But to use Brumbies as a scapegoat uh, on what was clearly pig damage and deer damage, populations, two, two, two kinds of feral animal populations which are extremely difficult to control, and Parks is always having a very hard time trying to control these two populations. But what are the big animals that are visible and everyone can see them and there's a, such a contentious and political and, and uh, cultural issue around these, this particular one animal, the Brumby. To use them as a scapegoat um, yeah. and go, oh, this is all because of Brumby damage. Well, had you known how to man, had you, all of your scientists known anything about preserving and protecting our endangered wildlife and species, they would have a 
done appropriate hazard reduction burns, plenty of them. Two, they wouldn't have screwed up the um, Corroboree Frog Rehabilitation Program, and that's where my friend Corey, the Corroboree Frog, comes uh-huh. into, uh, into the picture here, spending $5 million of taxpayer funds, choppering in supplies and personnel into remote locations of Kosciuszko National Park, we're the heroes. We're saving the corroboree frogs. And that's from them being half an hour on the ground compared I to- I asked them, where are your asset protection zones around yeah. those corroboree frog enclosures? It's 2018. Kosciuszko National Park is drying up. There are dangerous levels of fuel loads and regrowth from the 2003 bushfires- All the way from As a result of mismanagement of the national park. Psh- 2003, all the fuel loads, all the regrowth, all the dead snow gum woodlands and the dense regrowth and heath uh, all across the Alpine National Parks. They've nestled these corroboree frog enclosures around drying, dying bushland, uh, you know, alpine heath, and um, not put them next to, you know, strategic fire trails. Awesome, Bushy. Look, we've covered a lot of great topics. I think we'll have to get you back on for a, yeah another part or two or three because it seems like you've got a lot to a lot to offer. Um, guys, have a look at his Instagram. Back to the number two, the Bush. Uh, yeah, it's been a really great conversation. I've learned a lot, Bushy. Thanks again. I'll have to get you on very soon. There's a lot more discuss, mate. We're only scratch the surface. I'm sure. We'll lock it in. All right. Good yeah, to speak mate. to you, mate. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.